0: Welcome to the AOL Podcast. Let's dive right into this week's message.
1: All right, let's lift up our Bible to the Lord. This is my Bible. Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. do. And I can have what it says I can have. I am am about to be taught taught. from the incorruptible, incorruptible uh, everlasting. (laughs) I (laughs) had to cheat incorruptible, everlasting seed of the Word of God, and I will never be the same again. I'll never be the same again. Thank you, Lord. And who is who are we talking about tonight? Who is the main thing? Jesus. You got a pen in your hand, everybody? Write, write this down on your page after that, the main thing. Uh, write uh, Psalm 34 3. I just want to read this to you. You don't have to look right now, but I'll read it to you. It's short verse, uh, Psalm 34, 3. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I just want to say before I start out tonight, you know, I appreciate and I thank you all for coming and showing up on Wednesday nights. It's a it's a blessing uh, to me to uh, see it. It's I know it's a blessing to the pastor and anybody else that sits up here in this pulpit or anytime we get together and someone teaches or preaches out of this out of this place right here, but I thank you for coming, and I thank you for honoring God, and uh, and being a part of, of uh, His presence tonight. So you know you honor Him with your you honor Him by showing up and listening to the Word of God. Uh, the Bible says, Jesus or God Himself said this in the Word. He says, "If you honor me, I will surely honor you," and um, He says that in Psalm 91 two or three times. But I just want to say thank you for being here because it takes a lot of time to put lessons together, to put a message together like our pastor does uh, Sunday after Sunday. And uh, when you come and, uh, you know, you're honoring God, but you're also honoring the man that has listened to God and and spoken. And you honor me by being here. You honor the word of God. And it's just, it's a thing of honor. And I thank you for taking the time in the middle of the week to come and be a part of What's God's plan for our lives, and, and you honor God by doing that. So thank you for being here, and thank you for being faithful to come. And uh, I pl- I promise you by the by the time summer gets here, I say I promise you, I'm gonna sure hope to get through. But by the time summer gets here, hopefully we can get through all 22 chapters of the book of Revelation, and we're getting real close. We're I mean we're getting real close to the halfway point. I'll put it that way. Okay, let's start. Let's go to the recap. The recap in lesson nine, which we talked about last time, we, we finished chapter... In, in lesson number nine, we finished chapter six where the fifth and sixth seals were opened. We saw the martyrs under the golden altar in heaven crying out for vengeance and the great earthquake quake with cosmic disturbances, causing men of all distinctions to try and hide from the wrath of God. Remember, they had to hide and in go into their caves and dens. And as we anticipated the opening of the seventh seal, chapter seven, instead... Becomes a pause or interlude, a parenthetical, a break, or a change of pace to present to us more detailed and explanatory information. In this interlude moment, we are presented with judgment being restrained by the four angels until the 144,000 servants or witnesses from the twelve tribes of Israel are sealed for duty. And after this, we see the great multitude with white robes standing before the throne, and the Lamb, and the Lamb stand before the throne and throne of God, and the Lamb worshiping them. Now we move to chapters 8 and 9, where we will see more parenthetical passages. We'll, I'll highlight those as we go, but we'll see a, a couple. So let's, let's read the word, Revelation 8, starting in verse 1. Seventh seal, the prelude to the seven trumpets. So when he opened, when he, talking about Jesus, opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with prayer, with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden art, altar, which, we have, we, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with, with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Verse 7, the first trumpet. The first angel sounded, and the hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Verse 8, and then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, then the third angel sounded, and a great uh, star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Then the fourth angel sounded and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened and a third of the day did not shine and likewise the night and look and I looked and heard an angel and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice woe 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound 30 minutes of silence in heaven, think about that. Thirty minutes of silence in heaven. So let me give you the the. Uh, let's get this this part of it out of the way. I had revelation about this. I studied many things about this thirty minutes of silence. You got to think about heaven. It's a loud place, right? There's worship going on. Just like I said a while ago, there's lightnings, thunders, and voices going on. There's the worship of the angels. There's, the, there's music going on. There's, the three, there, there's four creatures around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy. We'll get to that in a little bit more here in just a minute. But it's a loud place. But then you have 30 minutes of silence. Think about this. That just proves one thing, 30 minutes of silence. That men get to heaven at least thirty minutes before women do. That's a bad preacher joke. Anyway, you get that? I get that all the time, so that's okay. Do you agree with that? Anybody agree with that? Anyway. Richard? Think that's right? All right. That's hey. I told you you'd come for a great revelation tonight, right? <laughs> no, I'm just sorry. I had to say that because I, I've heard that several times. But I thought, man, I've been waiting for this moment for a long time. It proves that men make it to heaven at least 30 minutes before women. All right. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Better get out of that as fast as I can. What will be the signal that marks the beginning of the great tribulation? Will it, will it sound like a bomb exploding or a war breaking out? No. Silence. 30 minutes of ominous silence. As the seventh seal is broken, the scroll is now open, and horrific judgments are being revealed. In that stillness before the storm, the fullness of God's wrath will pour out on the earth. It will be the beginning of the end of the earth. That silence. Here's another one. That silence right before it's like you know it, it's the stillness before the storm. In Texas, or in the South, they would probably say, "Well, if something silent like that, something big's fixing to happen." right? That's what they'd say in Texas. That's what you say. I'm just saying the fixing part. Cindy uses fixing all the time. Something's fixing to happen, right? As the seventh seal is broken or opened, a silence will descend on heaven's scene for a half hour. The Lord Jesus Christ in his glory as the judge of all the earth, still in command, now directs all the action from heaven. This is a very solemn scene. The Lord Jesus Christ orders a halt, On all fronts, heaven, hell, and earth, nothing can move without his permission. He has already ordered the cessation of natural forces on the earth when he ordered the sealing and saving of the 144,000 of Israel, resulting in the salvation of the multitude of Jews and Gentiles. Now, for a brief moment, there is a heavenly hush. Remember that? The four angels, he told them to hold back the the winds and let them blow until the 144,000 are sealed. That was in the last uh, lesson. Why is there this strange silence? God's patience is not exalted. when the exhausted when the when the sixth seal was opened and nature responded with a mighty convulsion brave men weakened for a moment Christ gave them an opportunity to repent you know think about this the half hour of silence the opening of the seventh seal brings that ominous silence this is just a side note you don't have that in your book but I'm I'm just reading this from the side in in heaven this would be an un, uh, the silence in heaven would be a most unusual and striking uh thing, since normally, as we saw in chapters 4 and 5, is there a continuous praise and worship from the angelic host, the 24 elders with their harps uh, worshiping, the four creatures around the throne saying, singing, uh, saying day and night, holy, holy, holy. So that it is an awkward thing. Think about it. But most believe it represents the soberness and the dreadfulness of the moment. Serious heavenly contemplation of the judgments about to be released upon the earth. 30 minutes doesn't seem long, but it, seem, it will seem like eternity. So think about this: if you're thinking about silence and how 30 minutes of silence, complete silence in the heavenly realm, what if our pastor was up here some Sunday morning, and he was preaching, and all of a sudden he decided to stop for like 10 minutes, and he just quit? That'd be a kind of an uncomfortable, awkward moment, right? Well, that's kind of what it. I mean, that's kind of what you think about. You know, 10 minutes doesn't seem like long until you're on a, on a roll and you're preaching, and all of a sudden you stop. And you don't say anything for 10 minutes. I don't think pastor could do that, but I mean that. <laughs> but anyway, just think about that. It would be, it would be, that would be like, uh, what that would be like. You know, we studied in the last, when we talked about uh, in, in chapter 6, 17, the, the scripture, for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. That's what we're talking, what we're talking about. This is the great moment of his wrath and who is able to stand. It's a, it's a very serious moment. But, like the Pharaoh of Moses' story, we'll resume back in the, in the work, uh, the story, who, when the heat was taken off, let his willful heart return to its original intention, many men will go back to their blasphemous conduct in the calm. They probably will even rebuke themselves for showing a yellow streak. They will say, Well, it was only nature reacting, it, was, it wasn't God after all. Everything can be explained by natural causes. Can you remember the saying we had several years ago, a couple of years ago? Just trust the science, right? Trust the science. I never, you'll never forget that from the from that little episode. But that's what men will be like. They, they're going to th- say, "There's a, there's got to be an explanation for all this, this huge earthquake and all the things that are happening." So you know, science, scientists will figure it out. They'll, they'll understand that. Trust the science. That's what they say. So this is the lull before the so- storm. God steps. From God's steps, from mercy to judgment, are always slow, reluctant, and measured. He is reluctant to judge, for he is slow to anger. Judgment is his strange work. He is a God of love who judges his creatures. His silence marks the transition from grace to judgment. God is waiting. If you have not yet come to him by faith, he is waiting for you today. You can come to him, for he is a gracious Savior. Remember the word where it says, today is the day of your salvation don't put it off. 2 Peter 3, nine says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering. He's patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How many of you have had a day of mercy or many times of mercy and patience, and you're th- so thankful that God was uh, long-suffering toward you? I know I have. So as we as we enter into this conversation, uh, this is, this is I, to, I told you I would let you know when there was another interlude or parenthetical, so consider this what we're studying from this point on uh, as, a, as a parenthetical and interlude, a, a place where uh, more explanation, maybe a little bit more explanation is needed. This is from verses 2 through 6. To explain, this is to explain the events happening in heaven between the seventh seal, which we just got seen open by Jesus, and the first trumpet. The trumpet will come here just in a little bit. Uh Finest Dake, in his notes in uh, God's plan for man, says this is preparatory, or his, in his annotated Bible, he says this is preparatory to the blowing of the seven trumpets, which completes the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. In other words, now we're fixing to enter, we're about the midway point. At least that's what he says. And other commentators, there are some that says it's uh, a little different in, in regards to the place where we're at. But anyway, blowing of the seven trumpets. Judgment is getting ready to come on the earth. The great tribulation will break with fury on the earth and is signaled by the blowing of the trumpets. We'll see this in, in the, the, the seven trumpets in Revelation this chapter 8 all the way through 11 when the seventh trumpet is blown. Seven angels who stood before God were given the seven war trumpets. Remember that said that, seven angels. This is a special, you know, there's there, keep in mind that seven number is, is always important. This is a special group of angels. Gabriel likely is in this group because he, we're told in Luke 1.19 that he stood before God. God. This is the passage that, that where it says that. Luke 1.19, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Now this, you can go back and read the entire passage in context, but you probably remember the story. Uh, this is the story of Zacharias who was the father of John the Baptist, and Gabriel is telling him uh, what, to, what to name him. And uh, Zacharias, what to name, and and Zacharias is arguing with him, said we've never had a son in in our family named John. And because of that, Zacharias was was, uh, put on mute. He couldn't speak until John was born, and finally he had to write out and said, no, his name shall be John. But anyway, that's where that comes from. Gabriel is in there. Seven trumpets have a special meaning for Israel. First of all, let me read you this first note. According to, when we're talking about seven angels and seven trumpets, according to Jewish tradition, we don't see that in Scripture anywhere as far as the the canonized Scripture that we read is what we call the Holy Bible. But in Jewish tradition, in some of their writings, there are seven archangels that stand before God. Now, Gabriel and Michael, we know Gabriel and Michael both. We've heard of them. We've seen Gabriel, we've seen him in Daniel. Uh, The book of Daniel, we see him in the book of, um, here in Luke. And we've seen also uh, Michael mentioned in the, in the Old Testament also, but uh, Daniel and I mean Gabriel and Michael are two that are mentioned in the Bible, and there are others listed in extra biblical writings such as the Talmud. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know you've heard of the angel Raphael or maybe the angel Uriel. They're, those are two more of them. That are, these are the seven angels that stand. So I, you know, based on that, it's not bib, it's not hard and fast in the Bible, but it is in Jewish tradition. That's what they say: seven angels. Uh, stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets have a special meaning meaning for Israel, particularly when you recall how God led them on the wilderness march. It it took seven trumpets to move them out, and seven trumpets of Revelation will likewise have the positive effect of moving Israel back into the land of Israel. Now I'm talking. We're talking about the Jewish people back into the land of Israel. You know, we talked about as I I said before, uh, the book of uh, part of the book of part of the purpose of the book of revelation is to bring and and restore and to finish the work just as, as we described in in uh, Daniel uh, chapter 9 verse 27 that that finished work that brings Israel back into uh, where they're supposed to be in right position for the God before God so after the seventh trumpet Israel continues to be the special object of God's protection in times of war God responded to their trumpet call you can read that and go back I encourage you to read that passage in numbers 10 and we studied that back when we were talking about the Feast uh, of, uh, of the Lord. Uh, we went over that in a lot of detail. Trumps are also part of many ceremonies. They gathered Israelites for war, journeys, special feasts, announced the New Year in Israel. Trumpets often announce God stepping into history. Here, they announce divine judgments in the day of the Lord. They declare war. A little bit more information on the, on the trumpets before we move on. Uh, just as i said in, in trumpets the trumpets are if, as you go back and read the account and, and, and if you've read through exodus already and you know they've had the encounter at mount sinai and you remember they didn't want to speak to god because they were afraid of his voice and they didn't they thought he was going to they, they they didn't want to talk directly so trumpets are representative of the voice of god when at Ma- when at mount sinai the hebrew people were so afraid of the voice of god that they implored Moses to speak to God and see, and, and then they would hear from through him, not directly from God, for they feared they would die. So it is said that this is the way that God would speak to his people because they could not bear the voice of God. To the Hebrew people, the sound of trumpets represented both the voice of God and the might of God in warfare. So, you know, you see and you direct that back to Revelation and you see these seven trumpets here. What this is saying is this is probably special to get the attention of the people of Israel or Jewish people, and they're seeing these, they can relate to this because a lot of things, all a lot of the symbolism, a lot of the things we see in Revelation go back to the Old Testament way. Or I mean, it's like your, it's like the the Old Testament book of the New Testament to, to read Revelation. So that's you need to kind of get an idea and a feel for that. In the wilderness, God had the Israelites make trumpets of silver to assemb- to signal assembly of the people or the movement of the people, also to sound the alarm or signal battle news, as in the march around Jericho. You remember that uh, story. These seven trumpets will sound as God's battle alarm during the Great uh, Tribulation as these judgments are ex- executed. And when you go back and look in the uh, interlinear, which kind of explains the Greek and the Hebrew of a, of a passage, that uh, that word for trumpet is actually means a war trumpet that boldly announces God's victory. Uh, in the Old Testament, trumpets were used to call people, God's people to war, and announced the victory wrought by him. That is, it's a military clarion that proclaimed the Lord inspired and empowered the victory on behalf of His people. And you remember when the, if you went to the through the study of the uh, the feast of the trumpets, that's what we declared. or seen right there because we compared that to like the trumpets back in the days of the cavalry and the army when they blew those trumpets or they blew those horns. Troops knew knew which way to move to the right, to the left, advance, retreat or however, you know, they, they had, but they had that sound of that trumpet, that's, that particular sound that moved them in that direction. And I believe these trumpets are, a, are a symbolic of that very same thing. These trumpets are signaling the, the uh, people of Israel, but they're also uh, used to say and announcing uh, that this is a, this is a battle alarm. And so with all this in mind, we may be seeing here a a total fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. We talked about this before, but I believe all of the feasts of the Lord are fulfilled in the book of Revelation. And right here, this is one of them that leads up to it, the Feast of Trumpets, which, and if you remember, the Feast of Trumpets preceded the Day of Atonement. That was the Day of Judgment, if you remember that. And so that that, uh, ten days before uh, the Day of Atonement, the trumpets were blown. Which uh, so that was Yom Kippur. Could these trumpets, just think th- something to think about. Could these trumpets also be a final signal to the people of God to repent, in preparation of the judgments to come? Okay. Let's move on. And and one th- other thing, you know, th- not only were they to call his people to assemble, they were called to begin movement of the camp. They were called as an alarm or a war cry. They were to be blown at the festivals. And last but not least, that uh, they were uh, trumpets were always blown to, to announce a new month, a new year, and most importantly, to announce the Jubilee year, which was the, on the 49th year to announce the 50th year coming. And I think that has a lot to do with the time coming because I believe that the, the, you know, the whole thing about the Jubilee year is pointing to that last and final um, uh, triumphant victory that God has for us, and that will be our our Jubilee year. Okay, let's move on. I just wanted to spend a little time in that. Then in addition to the seven angel band, another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer and incense. He added it to the golden altar where prayers of God's people were offered in front of the throne. Incense is often compared to prayer as we we see in Psalm 141, 2, where it says, Let my prayers be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Now, underline right there in that, paragraph where it says, then in addition to the seven angel band, another angel. Just underline that just for a second. And right beside that, Jesus with a question mark, okay? And the reason I say that is because some commentators, some scholars believe that that other angel could be actually a symbolic of, of Jesus Christ, or it could be actually Jesus that is the other angel. That sometimes, they, you know, in, a, in the Old Testament, a lot of times Jesus was identified a pre-incarnate Jesus was identified as the angel of the Lord. Some people say that this is Jesus, and the reason they say this, another angel came and, and stood at the altar, because remember, Jesus is, Jesus is our high priest of our calling. He is the high priest. So, so he's the high priest of our calling, and priests were the only ones who could take this fire from, to take fire uh, from the bronze altar, taken into the golden altar, and put incense upon it. So, just not anybody could go into the into the holy of holies or into the holy place, and take and put this on the altar. So that's the reason a lot of people, a lot of people, commentators and scholars believe that this another angel could actually be Jesus Himself. Just something to think about. So, after we read that passage of Psalm, it says, as we noted in the previous lesson about about this altar. This is the original one in heaven shown to Moses that he used as a pattern for the one in the wilderness tabernacle. This is where intercession was made by the priest twice daily for the people of Israel. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, here here we have the trumpets involved with the Day of Atonement, the blood of the sin offering was sprinkled on the horns of the tabernacle golden altar before the veil of the Holy of Holies. That was the blood of the sacrifice was put on the, on the horns of the tabernacle. Now, remember, Jesus is our sacrifice. Previously, Jesus interceded for us before the golden altar, but now he is on the throne. Remember, he is the sin offering, the atonement for our sins. Incense is likened unto prayer and is the type of prayer. Here's what we find in the epistle to the Romans and Hebrews about Jesus, our intercessor. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He's always making intercession for us. When we pray, that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. When we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus, He's interceding on our behalf. Hebrews 7, 24 through 25 says, But He, because He continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for us. He's doing His, He's doing the job of intercession, and that job is coming to a close now as we are going through, as we go through Revelation. Now the raptured saints have been taken to heaven, so there's not many saints praying except those maybe on the earth now that are praying for, for salvation. In, in that regard, the prayers of saints offered under the fifth seal. We've seen that back in uh, uh, six nine through eleven the ones John saw under the altar. You remember that, the, that John saw these all these saints under the altar, all these tribulation uh, martyrs under the altar. They are now being answered because of Jesus' personal sacrifice, and they are heard and answered by God because of Christ. Now, the angel, again, you can place Jesus with a question mark there if you want to because it could be the angel... This angel or Jesus, he takes the censer and fills it with the fire from the altar. And when it says "from the altar," we're talking about the the altar is it's got they, they had to have fire or coals from the bronze altar, which were a place of sacrifice, and they put the incense on it. So now he's taken this these coals from the altar and puts it in the censer, and he throws it on the earth, causing thunder, lightnings, lightning, and earthquakes. In the Old Testament, the high priest of Israel took the censer of the colds and the handful of incense with him as he carried the blood into the Holy of Holies. Here the ritual is reversed because out of heaven the censer is hurled to the earth. You see, I saw that passage where it was hurled to the earth. That always confused me. I wondered, why is he doing that? Why is that censer being hurled to the earth? But now that we know that incense represents prayers, these prayers are being answered and they're coming to the earth. The prayers of the people ascended as incense and now the answer is coming down. The tribulation saints had prayed, O God, avenge us. The people of the earth, having rejected the death of Christ for the judgment of their sins, must now bear the judgment for their own sins. The tribulation is building to a crescendo. This is a solemn moment. The half hour of silence is over. The prayers of the saints have been heard. The order is issued to prepare to blow. The angels come to attention at the blowing of the trumpets. Divine wrath is visited upon rebellious men. Verse 7, the first angel sounded, and the hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The blowing of the trumpets introduces literal plagues. God means what he says. They're not symbolic. At the first trumpet, hail and fire mingled with blood hits the earth and burns up one-third of all trees and all green grass. This is a direct judgment from God on plant life from grass to great trees, every form of the botanical life is affected. Plant life was the first to be created, and it is the first to be destroyed. This is a literal judgment upon plant life in the same way that the seventh plague of Egypt was literal. You can read that in Exodus. It's no accident that this trumpet judgment has a striking similarity to the plagues in Egypt. All the plagues are literal, just as these plagues in Revelation should be taken literal. A lot of people try to spiritualize it or try to Uh, make it a metaphor or something like that but these things are literal these are actually going to happen then the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burned with burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea become blood became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed at the second trumpet the sea which occupies most of the earth's surface surface, is next affected by god's direct judgment a mass, as if it were a great mountain, uh, falls into the sea. One-third becomes literal blood, and one-third of all living creatures in the sea die. Also, one-third of the ships of all nations are destroyed. The separation of the land and the sea occurred on the same day in which plant life appeared. That's in creation. So what John is seeing here is a mass. It's like he, he, he didn't say it was a, a great mountain. He said it's like a great mountain. Can you imagine? I don't. You, I know you all have seen movies like I have and everything else, you you know, it's like a, if a meteorite or an asteroid is headed to the earth and you get a close-up of that picture of that asteroid or that mountain or whatever it might be, it's got the appearance of, of jagged edges and, and like a mountain, like a rocky, nothing on it, just rocks. And so what John was seeing is probably something he said, like a great mountain. So he thought, this is huge, it's burning, and it fell into the sea. It falls into the sea, and that's what he saw. You, you know, Unless you were there... And seeing through John's eyes, you would probably may even have a stranger description. And then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. And the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. The third trumpet unleashes, unleashes a great star burning as it falls out of heaven and hits the earth. This star is literal. And it's probably a meteor uh, containing a poison that contaminates one-third of the earth's fresh water supply. The star's name is Wormwood, suggesting it's a judgment on man for idolatry and, just, and injustice. Calamity and sorrow are the natural compensations coming on a man because of his sin. Now, if you look up, I put on there the, the Greek word for, for what Wormwood is. It's absensoth, a bitter plant known as Wormwood, what is intensely bitter- Bringing on very, bringing on very sad results. Uh, used only, this is the only place it's used in the Bible is in Revelation eight eight eleven. So wormwood, or this, abs, if you look up, I looked it up just you know just to see a little bit more information about that. But if you look up this absinthe, which actually grows in Eastern Europe and that part of the world, it's it's um, it's actually a very powerful drug, and and they used it mixed with honey and vodka or some other alcoholic beverage as a, you know, it, was, it, had, uh, it had, I guess, calming effects. I mean, other, it was bitter, but it also took you, in other words, like uh, I'm thinking of medicine that they give ADHD kids or whatever like that where, they you know, their kids like that are hyper and, you know, bouncing off the walls and everything. This was a drug that they probably would have given that person to calm them down, to bring them down to a low. In other words, it kind of depresses instead of impresses. And so it's, it's a downer instead of an upper type deal. But anyway, it's just something to think about, you know, as we're talking about this wormwood, this, this whole thing when we're talking about it, it contaminates one, earth, one third of the earth's fresh water supply is bitter. And it's a terrible thing to think about. Every, you couldn't drink anything without having that bitter taste so it's bringing on very sad re- results. So a lot of that can be considered as symbolic in thinking about what wormwood does, but it's very uh, it's another thing it says right there it's a it's a burning it's a great star. And in the Greek on that what that means is it's it's great is mega and it says mega megas aster and aster is the root word for the word that we get asteroid. So I I'm I'm supposing here that this great star is probably a asteroid or it could be a comet. Or something like that because it says it's burning like a torch you know when you see a comet it's got a long tail burning like a torch out there so it could be either one it could be a great asteroid it could be a great uh, comet that hits the earth at that time so it's it's I can imagine it would be uh, terribly um, uh, horrific to see that hitting and coming And when the fourth angel sounded, a third of the sea was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that the third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. The fourth angel blew the trumpet, and the light from the sun and the moon and the stars were darkened by one-third. It was on the fourth day of recreation that these heavenly bodies appeared, and now the light is a third less over the earth. Under these four trumpets, the expression a third has been used 12 times. This is the divine number of God's government dealing with the earth. Twelve apostles sit on the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes. We've seen that in the early chapters that we studied. And if you notice, these four trumpet judgments that we've already seen have all affected ecological systems. Vegetation, the sea and the sea life, the fresh water, and the sources of light. I wonder what the Green New Deal would have to say about this. You know, they're all about ecology, and they're all about the, you know, everything having to follow along there. Well, they might have some thoughts about that time if they still exist at that time, which I know they will because they're evil. Anyway, sorry, I'm on a rant. Shouldn't have said that. Forgive me for being political. <laughs> it's all right. We can be political. You got to be political sometimes, even even from here. Now, after the fourth trumpet, a solemn announcement is made with intensity. It is a warning that the final three trumpets will be stepping up in intensity. Woe says an eagle. Now it's most. In the, in the translation I have, the New King James Version, and the King James Version, it says an angel. But most translations, other than those two, say eagle rather than angel. So it says an eagle delivering this message. Woe says an eagle delivering this message. In the Old Testament, the eagle was a symbol of God's grace like, the, like in Exodus 19.4. I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And also a symbol of judgment. Deuteronomy 28, 49 says, with judgment coming about the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies. There's the passage uh, right here in front of you. It says, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar from the ends of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language, language you will not understand, a nation of fierce countenance which does not respect the elderly, nor show favor to the young. This is this is a this is a passage out of Deuteronomy 28, which Moses is telling his people, if you do not obey God and his precepts and his commandments and things like that then this is what's going to happen a nation come against you from the ends of the earth and that was actually the Babylonians the Assyrians and all those that come against them so anyway go back and read that too if you want more context and that's what happens next greater and more intense judgments so we've already seen and traveled some dark days in the tribulation but the worst is yet to be seen these next events are so weird and wild it boggles the mind unless John tells us otherwise we'll take them all as literal. So here we have another interlude. Interlude number three. We now have the announcement of three woes upon men at the last three trumpets. A plague of demons out of the abyss to torment men for five months. A plague of demons out of the abyss to slay a third of men on the earth. And a casting out of Satan to the earth to destroy men for three and a half years. We see that when we get to chapter 11. And maybe a little bit more explanation about that. Okay. So the so the here... The eagles, the eagles, or angel, if you want to use that, interp- uh, that translation, announcement, woe, 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 a great wrath is coming to those who live on the earth, signaled three angels who will blow three more trumpets. Woe here is an expression of grief or denunciation. When repeated three times like this, and you see this throughout Scripture, when something's repeated three times like this, it usually denotes an emphasis on intensity which is probably a good indication that things are going to get even worse. The Bible points to this season as the blackest days in human history. When I say intensity increases, think of this. When the angel, the the four creatures around the throne are praising or saying this, they say, holy, holy, holy. That's an intensification uh, and emphasis on what they're saying. So Here is woe, woe, woe. It's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. That's what they're saying. So let's read Revelation 9, verses 1 through 12. Then the angel, the fifth angel, sounded, and I saw a star falling from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as, a scorpion of the, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded... Not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like, notice the use of the word like, okay? I just It's important to remember that. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings were like, was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. And they had tails like scorpions, and there, there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king, they had his king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. So one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. The fifth trumpet, the fifth angel sounds a trumpet, and a star falls from heaven. We've already witnessed two other stars fall, meteors to the earth, but this one is different. This star is alive and not, not only acts with intelligence, but he is given a key uh, from God. This is a difficult passage for interpreters. Some say this fallen star is Satan, but there is much disagreement on this. We know that an intelligent being rather than a material meteor or a shooting star. He has described or he is ascribed a personal pronoun. We see in there where it says him and he in verses 1 and 2. So here are a few of the supporting ideas that disagree with him being Satan. One says that he has to be God's angel, for the Lord holds the keys to death and Hades, as you can see in Revelation one eighteen. You can go back and read read that. It says, Behold, uh, he that holds the key to hell and Hades, or Hades and death. The fact that he has given the key to the bottomless pit makes us not want to associate him with Satan. The idea that Satan is the master or ruler of hell is foreign and contrary to the rest of Scripture. He will eventually be hell's victim, not the ruler. How many of you have heard the people say well you know all the devils in hell you know and devil send devil satan back to hell where he came from well he's not in hell right now satan is not in hell he's out roaming around he's you know like a roaring lion trying to trying to devour whoever he may so this that's that's wrong when you say that he's in hell or he's the king of hell or he's the ruler of hell or he's the lord and of of hell he's not he's going to be a victim of hell he's going to suffer in hell when it all gets cast into the lake of fire the key is given to him for a specific time and for a specific purpose so obviously this angel he is serving god's purpose this angel that's fallen so also when it when it says fallen too you know a lot of interpreters and i think they use this they say all angel fallen from heaven well a lot of if you if you do the study deep back into it Actually, could just mean a rapid descent from heaven when it says "fallen." So that's you know something else. Uh, a, a departed, in other words, he departed. Uh, he departed quickly from heaven, and I, I think that's the really the, in the context of where, and we'll see that here in a minute. So he, so, uh, so also is most likely the same angel as in Revelation 20 uh, verse 1, who has the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain for the dragon, who is the devil. So if this was the devil if this was Satan why would he have the key in the chain in 20 to that he's going to unlock it again when he, you know he could he wouldn't do that so I, it doesn't line up and I, you know like we said before sometimes you just got to let the Bible interpret it itself okay so in this context is more likely that this angel fallen or, or departed quickly from heaven is not Satan so, uh, so this angel goes to the earth with a key to the abyss. The abyss is a literal place. The Bible doesn't teach that heaven and hell are mythological, with heaven in some, as some beautiful island hanging out in space. Heaven and hell are as literal as the place you live today. God gives the angel the key to the abyss. Some say this is the long shaft, which is called Sheol in the Old Testament, and Hades in the New Testament. This shaft leads to the abyss where the spirits of the dead, of the angels past, have gone. Generally speaking, this place is considered the realm of the dead, or the place of the dead. I don't think it should be, maybe not realm, might not be a good word, but it's the place of the dead, uh, or what we're talking about in, in most. But, uh, but a consensus of many other commentators say that this abyss seems to be a separate location, possibly at the center of the earth, a special prison, reserved for certain demons and we can see passages that support that Luke 8, 31, 2 Peter 2, 4, and Jude 6. Let me just read you a couple of these right here that support that part about the abyss. Luke 8:31 if you remember the and Pastor Travis has preached on this several times but you remember the madman of Gadara the the one that had the legion of demons in him when he was asked what what is your name and he said legion for we are many. And so when he cast those demons out, those demons didn't want to go. Uh, they didn't want to go to the abyss. Matter of fact, they said, do not send us to the abyss. Uh, can we go into the, let us go into the herd of swine. So what, that's what he ended up doing. They did not want to go to the abyss, so they begged Jesus to let them go to the, to the herd of, of swine. So you can read that on your own to uh, pull that up and read it. But anyway, so that's, they know. That the abyss is a bad place. This is a place where where demons are confined, um, and uh, they don't want to be that a part of that. Um, I had another scripture here. Maybe it's later on in the notes. Maybe the next page or something. Yeah, we'll get to it here in just a minute. But anyway, uh, then out. So this is uh, Jude six. I, I wrote this one here, and you can read this one. Jude wrote this in in verse six of that of his uh, book. He said, "In the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness for the judgment of the great day." So, what he's saying, Jude is saying, these angels who did not keep their proper domain, these are angels that, more than likely, and if you read the notes about this, and you can, and they're also identified in the Book of Enoch, although the Book of Enoch is not considered canonized scripture, but the Book of Enoch says that these are these are the angels that come down and inhabited or married; uh, these were the sons of God or angels that come down and, and married the sons of men. This was in right before uh, Noah. These are the demons, and they were they were taken. You know, they're demons. They have immortality because they're, they're they're like um, you know they were created created with immortality, so they didn't perish during the flood. So God took them. They say God took them and and bound them they were bound in the abyss until the time they were to be let loose so that's some of the angels that are there and other angels of high high rank are also uh, uh, enslaved there or uh, imprisoned there in the abyss which is the bottomless pit so it's a separate place from the realm of the dead i believe it's a special and special prison for certain demons so god allows this angel to open the long shaft of the abyss then out of the shaft like a great a uh, erupting volcano pours a vicious smoke that covers the entire earth and darkens the sun and fills the atmosphere. Out of the, out of the smoke come locusts with stingers like scorpions. But unlike natural locusts, these don't eat grass, but attack people who don't have the seal of God's protection on their foreheads. Uh, we know this to be at least the 144,000 we've seen sealed in the, in the last chapter we talked about, but everyone else is subject to this torment. They aren't allowed to kill anyone; just torture men with unspeakable agony for five months. Things get so awful, people want to kill themselves, but they but they can't die. They long for death rather than repenting. Isn't that the hardness of man's heart? And that's you know that goes back to that strong delusion. We'll see that raised up again several times. But these locusts have unusual characteristics. They have human faces. Antenna like the, like the glory of girls' hair. Their bodies look like war horses with iron breastplates and on their heads are golden crowns or looks like golden crowns. Just the sound of their activity is terrifying like the sound of a battle. So that's where he uses, that's what I said, pay attention to how many times he uses like. You know, he's trying to compare something that he's never seen before, these locusts that are coming out of the pit, out of the abyss, the bottomless pit, and he's seeing these things for the first time and he's trying to describe them And so, you know, a lot of people say, you know, maybe this is what he's seeing right here because he's seeing something that he's never seen before. Have you ever seen what it looks like a a, an Apache attack helicopter when it's just coming right at your forefront and you look at it? It looks like a big bug or something like that. I mean, it's got, and you know, it's got like eyes like a man or something like that. The the propellers are spinning around. That could be like the woman's hair or something like that. Maybe he's seeing something like that. Maybe that's what these are. I don't know. This, you know, that that might be taking a little bit. That may be uh, uh, spiritualizing it a little bit too much or, or trying to normalize it a little bit too much. But anyway, we don't know what John saw, but he's seen something different. These are not normal locusts. Let it, yet in all this weirdness, this plague of locusts are as little, literal as the plague of locusts in e- Egypt. A working knowledge of the Old Testament is essential to understanding revelation. In other words, they're a, they're a bad animal. They're a bad critter such locusts or similar creatures were also mentioned by the prophet Joel as having lion's teeth. You can read that in Joel 1.6. And also uh, pictured in Joshua as hornets, you know, when he said, I'm going to send the hornet before you to move out the people in, in the promised land. Locusts have always been depicted as an agent of God's judgment. Matter of fact, let me just read Joel 1.1 1, 1 uh, verse 4. It's, it says here and you, you've read this it's always a this is judgment and so Joel's writing this and this is kind of a, a preview of this but these are these are different one but Joel 1 4 says what the chewing locust left the swarming locust has eaten what the swarming locust left the crawling locust has eaten and what the crawling locust left the consuming locust has eaten so here we're talking about locusts that do nothing but devastation total destruction total uh, devastation total judgment where they laid waste the land. So we're talking about a locust. This is a different locust that will not harm vegetation or trees or green things, but it's going to harm men. Another unique characteristics of these locusts is that they have a leader called the angel of the abyss. Uh, like one of the devil's chief henchmen, this, this king's name is Apollyon, uh, literally the destroyer. That's what that means, the destroyer. What did Jesus say in John 10.10? He says, I have come to give... The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. So that's what he's saying. You know, the thief, or his minions, or his his uh, his uh, angels of destruction. That's what they are. They're destroyers. Apollyon leads them in a terrifying invasion on Earth. This leader. This con- This confirms that Daniel. What Daniel told us that the demonic world is dividing into is divided into military ranks: generals, majors, lieutenants, sergeants, and privates. Ephesians 6 tells us the angels of God are divided the same way. So, you know, this Abaddon or this leader, this Apollyon or Abaddon or however it was, see, the devil, it, this doesn't necessarily, although sometimes I think he is called Apollyon in the Bible in places, uh, but he has other leaders such as God has his archangels. Well, I'm sure the devil has his archdemons, and so God has Michael and Gabriel, the devil probably has this one called Apollyon or Abaddon, or it could be Molech, or it could be some other Baal or some other uh, demon that people worship. But, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't make the devil any difference. He just wants people uh, killed no matter what. So this locust warfare lasts the first five months. And of course, they're not dying in this deal. You've only seen this. They're only tormented where they couldn't die. The next two trumpets warn that worse things will follow Now, let's read uh, the passage from chapter 9, verses 13 through 21. This is the sixth trumpet, the angels from the Euphrates. When the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice uh, from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year, a specific time, were released to kill a third of mankind now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million i heard the number of them and thus i saw the horses in the vision those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red fiery red hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone and by these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So when the sixth angel blew the trumpet, a command came from Jesus Christ himself. That's why it says, you know, a voice came from the, from the, uh, uh, the golden altar, released the four angels. We think that is Jesus Christ at the, at the golden ar- altar speaking from the golden altar, uh, the horns of the golden altar, which is symbolic of power in heaven, and to loosen the four angels found bound at the river Euphrates. They must be fallen an- evil angels since no good angels are bound. Sometime in the past eternity, they were bound away from the others because of the enormity of their crime. Why were they bound here at the Euphrates River? This is kind of a complicated and nuanced subject. The prominence of the area in Scripture can't be overlooked. The Garden of Eden was somewhere in this region. Matter of fact, it was—I believe—it was the river to the east was was the Euphrates. You know, four rivers came through the Garden of Eden. The sin of man began here. The first murder was committed here right at at the banks of the Euphrates. The first murder was committed here. Remember Cain and Abel. The first war was fought here. Here was where the flood began and spread over the earth. Here is where the Tower of Babel was erected. East and west are divided at the Euphrates. And to this area were brought the Israelites of the Babylonian captivity. So you can see the Euphrates, whatever the crime was that these angels were bound there must have been great, and it's very symbolic of what this Euphrates River actually is. So Babylon was the fountainhood, fountainhead of idolatry. And here's the final surge of sin on the earth. Zechariah 5 identifies Babylon as the land, last stand of false religion, and this is where Satan's last stand will take place. And I encourage you to go back and read. You probably, if as you're going through your daily readings, when you get to Zechariah 5, you may not read this, but this time you'll read it. Go back and mark it as a part of the Revelation study. But Zechariah 5 gives you more information on why that identifies Babylon. And I believe as you read through that passage, that short scripture, that short passage of scripture, Zechariah 5, you'll see what we're talking about is that Babylon. I won't go into that any fur- further, but it's it's the last stand of it's predicting the last stand of false religion. So read that, Zechariah 5. God had a purpose for these evil angels to fulfill at this specific hour, day, month, and year, and ordered their release to accomplish His will. These angels were ready for a specific assignment at a specific hour in history to kill one third of the earth's population who are in rebellion against God. So remember we read previously 25% of the population was killed under the fourth seal judgment, and many more died as altars. We see that in the other scriptures that are noted there. Now another 33%, you know, he said they, they had power to kill a third. These, these four angels are going to kill one-third of the earth's population. In these seven years of tribulation, over 50% of the population of the earth will be killed. No wonder the Lord Jesus said... That if those days of tribulation had not been cut short, no human life would be saved. Now, there's a correction in this next paragraph that we're fixing to read. The four angels lead a, lead a, as I read it, I'll get to the correction. But the four angels lead a world war, the first literal war, the first literal war to include every nation on the earth with a stunning army of 200 million. This is the wholesale invasion of the earth by the demonic world. The result, and it says here, I think you're passage says Satan right there it says the result of Satan opening I I scratched that and it should just be say the result, just scratch through on Satan and say the result of the opening of the door of the shaft to the bottomless pit, that's why these demons are out the description of the horsemen further confirms this fact the underworld is now making war on mankind (coughs) And the reason I say we take Satan out of that because you don't put, the old saying goes, you don't put the fox in charge of the hen house, right? Why would you put Satan in charge of the demonic entities? Why would you put Satan in charge of the abyss? I don't believe that that falls into the context of what we're saying. Although a lot of trusted uh, scholars say that they think that was Satan. But I think what we've seen on here that it's not. You wouldn't put the fox in charge of the hen house, right? So just keep that in mind. These creatures from the underworld are frightening and bizarre. The horsemen are striking in their brilliant and toxic colors, fiery red, bright blue, and light yellow. The normal horse is an animal of war, but these are enhanced. Their heads were like lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. These unnatural horses are able to kill with their mouths, and instead of horses' hair for, for tails, they have serpents which bite and kill mankind. So I had a question I just wrote myself here. Could John actually be describing a military vehicle with awesome firepower. You know, you, you think about those things. You know, we have a military has awesome firepower. And, you know, when you think of the fire and brimstone and, and um, uh, that going out of their mouth, they, he could be seeing things happen like that. I think of, you know, and, of course, uh, they didn't have this technology identified back then, or most of these scholars didn't have it either. But, you know, they're now developing robots for the Army, these animal robots. You've seen the dogs that they've had. Uh, you probably seen them on TikTok or something, but you know why couldn't they develop all of a sudden some kind of an animal like a horse or something like that that looks that's a that's a military instrument and they have, you know, <laughs> I mean really, when you see these sci- these science uh, fiction things on TV, a lot of these things could actually come to pass because knowledge is increasing day by day and these things could happen. And I'm not saying that they will, but I'm saying with John's eyes seeing these are these are. The, the eyes of a man that lived in the century 100, now he's 2,000 years, he's seeing things that are going to happen 2,000 years or more later. No, no, you know, this. we don't know exactly what he was saying. But anyway, we know this, hellish forces are at work. So if the population of the world were 3 billion at this time, or at this time that we're talking about, more than a billion would be killed, a third of mankind, like it says in verse 15. I did a little quick study. You know, now... As of the census of the world or the estimate of the world's population, it's like eight point, I think it's eight and a quarter billion in the world right now. So if you took that and we like what we talked before, if we are very liberal and we say 20 to 25 percent, we hope there's more, we're raptured, that brings it down to approximately six billion people left going into the tribulation. So as six billion are going in there, we already seen where 25 percent were destroyed early on. So that brings it down to 4.5 million. And so if a third of those are destroyed, that could bring it down to three, 3 billion. Uh, so we could see here that that number could be very close. 3 billion at that time, more than a billion, could be killed if they're going to kill a third of them. That's a lot of people. Has there ever been anything, there's never been anything, that kind of devastation on the earth? Yet, ironically, the people left alive to stop worshiping demons who are responsible for their... Uh, Their misery under the yet ironically, the people left alive refuse to stop worshiping demons who are responsible for their misery under the sixth trumpet judgment. These unresponsive, unrepentant, hard hearted people will continue in their mortal sins murders, sorceries, immorality, and stealing. Murders, which is a violence or has no regard for life. Do we see that nowadays? We do. I mean, we're even seeing that now. I think we're seeing a precursor into what it's going to be, except it's going to be amplified hundreds of times. Sorcery, which is a, comes from the word pharmakia, which means pharmacy or which we put on drugs, implies an uncontrolled drug use, which will contribute to a pervasive, violent drug culture and religion. I would suppose when these times come, and people are under seeing all these judgments of God coming along there, they're going to probably take any kind of drug they can to ease the pain, to, to uh, dilute the reality of what's going on so they don't have to face it. But, you know, this implies uncontrolled drug use, which will contribute to a pervasive, violent drug culture and religion. Many will turn to drugs when they are stung or bitten by these weird creatures. Although people won't die from their injuries, they'll want to. And as a result, they will take drugs to overcome the pain and help them endure. Of course, these drugs also make them susceptible to sin. Drug-induced sorcery, witchcraft, and the occult. That's what, what you're going to see an increase of. And then sexual immorality, fornication, including idolatry. Remember, we talked about Mystery Babylon, the, the religion of that. All of that's going to be running rampant during that time because there's going to be no disregard for life, no disregard for the rights of people. That's what theft is, too, is no no, no regard uh, for the rights or property of others. The Antichrist will use all of these sins to bring mankind into subjection to himself, and they will be easily lured in that day. Aren't you glad you're not going to be there? I don't know about you, but I am. I don't want my loved ones to be there either, if I can help it. Yet none of these severe judgments will move the remaining unbelievers as a whole to repent. The Apostle Paul describes what is happening here are only impacting those who reject the Word of God. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, as we talked about before, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The moment you reject the gospel and shut your heart to God, you are wide open for the big lie when it comes. This is the reason so many people today fall for everything that comes along, everything and anything. If you're not standing for the word of God, you're easy prey for any false teaching, cult, or error that puts you in their bullseye. Always pray that God would give you eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. Be always on guard so that you don't fall into any of the great delusion that is coming. And that's why you take the opportunity every chance you get to tell the gospel message to someone, the good news to someone uh, that needs to hear it. Because you don't want them to go through the tribulation. You don't want them to. You don't want them to even go through part of it. It's going to be terrible. And there's, you know, you only have. It's like I said one time in one study. You only have one life to live, and then there's judgment. Okay. Did y'all get anything out of that? It's pretty horrifying when you think about what's going to happen in those trumpet judgments. And so the next time we'll uh, cover chapters 10 and 11. That'll be on February the 14th, because we got first Wednesday coming the next time we get together. So it'll be February the 14th, and we'll talk about the mighty angel in the little book and the two witnesses. Okay? All right glad you all are here tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement of your word that we see, that we always have a chance now while we live this life here in the flesh and we live this life before we depart for eternity, that we always have that time to repent to you and to get our life straight, to get our life ready for you, and to to, um, be set in right position before you always. But Father, help us to realize the the, uh, imminence of the time that we live in right now, that there are people out there dying and uh, now that are going to hell, and there will people, many millions and billions dying after the uh, tribulation starts. So Father, help us to have that, uh, that concern in our hearts, have that uh, desire in our hearts, that fire in our hearts to get out and witness to every soul that we can so that that number is, is diminished as much as possible. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us this calling and this purpose in this life. Help us to fulfill it and do what you've called us to do. Thank you for blessing us with this time. And, Father, as we go out and leave this place, Father, I pray that you watch over every person, watch over our pastors while they are gone, that you'll give them a blessing time of refreshing and anointing. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
0: Well, we want to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We pray that you heard from God and that this message was for you. If you haven't already hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people with this message. Arena of Life takes pride in connecting to God, to church, and to people. And we want to connect with you. So don't forget to check us out on all social media platforms, to check out our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and to download the Church Center app and to choose Arena of Life as your church. And a special thanks to those who make a difference by giving generously.